Milner. Can he tee up someone in red? And he goes towards Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand, and as always, joined by Logan Stump. Hello, how's it going? And Matt Hartgrove. Hey there. And uh, we are recording this about 37 minutes past the transfer deadline closing on Monday, February 1st. Uh, So we're going to talk a little bit of transfers and... The same way that it usually happens, sometimes deals come through at the last minutes. So, uh, breaking news, Fulham signed Josh Madja on loan from Bordeaux. There you go. That's official now. Um, that's pretty cool. We got that right as we are uh, start recording. Um, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk some transfers, and uh, then we're going to talk about the games that just happened on the weekend. Then we're going to look ahead to... Tuesday through Thursday matches, and then uh, that'll wrap up the show. So, got a big one for you. It was a big weekend for teams at the bottom of the table, especially. We'll get to that later. But first, let's get into some of these transfers. Uh, this one is not Premier League, but it is about the championship. We got Daryl DK from Orlando, who just played a U.S. men's national team match yesterday, made his debut. Uh, and he went ahead, and he is now loaned out to Barnsley for a short loan. And uh, apparently a $20 million option to buy. Uh, for people that don't know, Barnsley has never paid more than $2.5 million for a player. So don't expect that buy option to be exercised. Um, but... Luckily, like we said on Friday, we have an Orlando City season ticket holder on the podcast now, and he's a big DK fan. Are you upset, uh, Logan? How How's your thoughts on him moving over to Barnsley for uh, probably the rest of the English season? Yeah, and I I, I was thinking about it when it was going through and, and just reading some of the stuff that people had written. And, you know, as far as short-term loans, it's kind of cool to see him get, you know, some of his dreams fulfilled playing in uh, England and playing over here um, or sorry, over there. Um, but I think the biggest concern was more of like, I wonder if Orlando knows something that's going on that maybe they keep him for a couple more months because they're thinking that the start of the season is going to get delayed for MLS, which is a bummer because I was excited to go and start watching those games in April. Um, so, I, you know, that that has me a little concerned. But I, I think if all else goes well, if, if, you know, by the end of the week we get that announcement that we're waiting for MLS, that they're going to play, then I guess I see this more as just a, a good preseason tune-up before he gets into the thick of things with Orlando City. Um, that is if he comes back. So, uh, you know, depending on what – and I imagine he is. But like you said, it, it it's, it's an ease uh, to my mind that he's $20 because I don't think Barnsley will – flip that much money over um, to try to buy him. But I'm excited to see like, these best guys getting loaned out or flying over there now just to get some some tune-up because I think it's it's fun to watch. You know, Ariel is going over there, and Jordan Morris is already in Swansea, and they're, they're waiting for their opportunities. Um, so I think it's kind of exciting just to see the U.S. men's national team starting to bust their way over, uh, especially some of these youth guys that are going to be with the U.S. men's for quite some time. Yeah, you mentioned it. Paul Ariola uh, is supposed to be going over to Swansea to join Jordan Morris, but I uh, haven't heard much about it since three hours ago. I think they said they were finalizing the deal. Somebody else said that the deal was done 
I think that's over in England, but I don't think there's been an actual official announcement. So uh, that's probably going to come through here in the in the next bit. Um, I would think. Um, also on the transfers here, we have Maitland Niles going to West Brom. Uh, originally, it looked like Southampton, I think, was trying to get him for uh, defender coverage, but he did not want to uh, play defense. He wants to play midfield, which I believe is his usual uh, position, and West Brom is allowing that. So uh, that's where he's going. And that was a uh, that that just got confirmed not that long ago, even though that one was one that was seemingly since like the very beginning of the day starting to gain traction. So that was very interesting for it to take that long. Um, Liverpool get two defenders. Uh, they get Ben uh, Davis is how they say it over in England, even though it's spelled Davies and uh, Ozan Kabek. Uh, from Schalke, one of the worst defenses in Germany. Uh, so, uh, Matt, give a, I know you just wanted a center back uh, for for depth and stuff, but does uh, you know one of them being from the Championship mid table, Preston North End, and the other one being from the uh, one of the worst teams in Germany, as as we know, because we watched uh, well, at least I watched them for Matthew Hoppy, and I used to watch them for McKenny. But uh, your thoughts on? getting Kabak and Davis. It's, it, it, it's exciting. Um, it's nice to see that they brought in two, especially with the, the Matip news that came out like five minutes after Kabak's official announcement. Um, kind of expected it anyway. I just can't really trust him to stay healthy. But at, at this point, it's a matter of getting bodies in that I think Davies they look at as a, a third fourth type guy in a normal season he can actually play left back as well or Davis or is that how you said it Davis and I'm gonna just say Davies that's how they time. always that's how they always I'm, say it for Alfonso Davies <laughs> and it's because apparently over in England what I heard was that they pronounce Davies as Davis yeah I'm still gonna probably say Davies without even realizing it but um I think they're both they're actually really smart moves too, I, I think in that in that sense. Liverpool need need center backs. I think with matchups injury, I think that kind of puts you with a, a group of four when all healthy with Fabinho, Phillips, uh, Kabak and and Davies. I think that's what you're gonna kinda be looking at with Fabinho being the normal one. And I, I actually would assume Kabak's gonna probably be the normal starter next to him. Um, Henderson can kind of play in front of those two to, to keep them, uh, you know, to just kind of watch out for him. And defensively, it, it keeps Tiago more offensively, keeps Tiago up further on the pitch. Um, but it, they're smart business. To, I, I, they, they really are smart deals. If Davies works out and plays well, I, I kind of assume he'd be sold in a year or two to a team that's willing to pay maybe 10, 15 million. That's something Liverpool are really good at is making profits off of players. Um, and Quebec, it's you know a six month loan that's worth a million, and if they want him, if he plays well enough, they can buy him for eighteen. Um, I know in August and September they were they actually were looking at him, and I, I know Schalke obviously isn't playing very well, but it doesn't that team seems to have more issues than just one twenty year old center back who is fairly highly rated, plays on Turkey's national team. I don't. I don't see him as being this root cause. There's probably a lot going on with that team. I don't really have too much information on, but there are two players that can do the job, and they're, they're center backs who are healthy. I, I do foresee Quebec playing a lot, and honestly, Davies, I think, will end up being ahead of Phillips even after the recent uh, couple of games he's played. I don't think they see Phillips as anything more than even further depth to that position he's he's slowish you know he he honestly i always say i feel like he's a great center back if this was 2010 2011 because he, he's physical he's gonna win aerial duels but he's not good on the ball you don't play in the back from him he's not a great passer he's just really just he's a very martin skirtle he, he reminds me a lot of martin skirtle in a sense um 
and I don't think that fits well in this day and age, nor with Liverpool style. So I would say they got themselves their second and third string center backs, which to me, I think I I think that clinches top two. I don't think they're going to beat City, but I think this this gives them a really good shot at staying in second. And I did just see that um, uh, that we have confirmation uh, that Paul Ariola is going over to Swansea. Uh, so th- there you go. There uh, now, did the uh, did the Minamino deal go through? I haven't seen that one. He was linked to Southampton. Um, it, it seems like that's a, it seems like it's waiting. So, uh, Fabrizio Romano does seem to say it's in the, here we go stage in in his language, I guess. I always see that that's like the big announcement for him is when he says, here we go. Um, they submitted paperwork to give them an extra two hours to get it completed. So it looks like it is going to be completed. Um, I guess I don't fully, I don't fully understand it, but I I do kind of. I don't think he was very high up on the depth chart in in that sense with Klopp. Um, Origi's clearly been getting more playing time. Shaq has been healthy, and he's actually been getting starts. And I want to say that this might mean Jota's within a few weeks of coming back. I think it gives him some confidence. Um, So we'll see what happens, but it's probably a really good move for Minamino because Southampton is very Liverpool-like in their style of play. So it'd be nice to see him get some game time. Yeah. I just saw a tweet that said, uh, good on Minamino for realizing that the only way to get in the Liverpool team is by playing for Southampton. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I think it is. It's, it's probably, it's for the best for him. I, I hope he succeeds and I hope he's, I hope he succeeds for Liverpool. So I am a little sad to see him get loaned out. It was kind of a shock because no one even really thought about it until it, Obviously, people started tweeting about it, but it makes sense on all parties. And I just don't, if he hasn't gotten playing time recently, I just, I, with Keita on the way back, Jota on the way back, Shakiri healthy, I don't see where his place was the rest of this year. So this is, this is just a good move for everybody all around. Uh, Mustafi went to Schalke after the, uh, or was part of the contingency of getting Kabak from Schalke to Liverpool. So he has left Arsenal, uh, and he is now a Schalke player. Um, let me just check the rest of the transfers. I don't think there's any other big transfers. You know, we talked about it last, uh, I think on Friday that Yedlin was going to Galatasaray. Uh, that was made official. Today, Winston Reed is now going on loan to uh, that says um, he's leaving West Ham. Yes, to go to Brentford on loan. Um, other than that, n- not many. You know, we we did see yesterday. I saw that Damari Gray has left Leicester for Bayer Leverkusen. Um, you know, Jesse Lingard. I think we talked about on Friday was going to uh, West Ham from Manchester United on loan. So, uh, you know, Ben Rama left, uh, was Brentford went to West Ham on a loan. Um, no, a fee, actually, sorry. Um, 23.1 million. Wasn't he already there, though? Or what? what um... Yeah, it was a loan to buy. So, they okay, so they bought yeah. the option. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, and then I guess I don't know if this is part of the deal with the uh, with Ben Davies or Ben Davis. Uh, Sepp Vanderberg left Liverpool on loan to Preston North End, so I assume that has something to do with that as well. Um, but let's get down to the nitty gritty, as this was not a big transfer deadline day. Uh, January usually isn't, but also in the fact in. in with COVID, you know, it's a lot of loans. Um, it's not like 10 years ago where we had Fernando Torres going from Liverpool to Chelsea for 50 million. Um, so, like I said earlier at the top of the show, it was a good weekend for teams at the bottom of the table. Brighton defeated Spurs 1-0 on Sunday. They get a much-needed three points, and now they are seven points above the drop. Um 
West Ham still remains the highest London team due to Tottenham not being able to capitalize um, there uh, against Brighton. Matt, you said in our text thread this game could have ended 2 or 3 nil. Uh, what did Brighton do right in this match? They, they just looked more organized. They looked more threatening on the attack. And honestly, I, I saw this tweet during the game. I forget where who tweeted it. But they kind of said that Brighton are a team where, you know, midfield defense, they're really sound. They play incredibly well. And even on the attack, they play well. But the moment they have to make the decision to shoot, pass, whatever they need to do that at the very end, they just don't do it very well. And that's why they don't score as many goals. And that's, it's a true point watching that their finishing is not great. They don't exactly have a, a threat, I feel, at the top. Uh, besides Mape, but even even then, he's not exactly like your prototypical target man, or you know the guy you'd go to if you need a goal when you need it. But they they honestly they just outplayed Tottenham. They they were aggressive in terms of getting to the ball. They they did everything right that you need to. And Tottenham, in reality, when Tottenham is not playing back, you can see how poor they are if they're not doing the sit back and hope to counter, especially without Kane playing. They they don't look like a team that should be in the top seven or eight, really. They just they don't have a way of defending when their attack is more open than just counters. It, it looked really bad. I mean, I, I wasn't shocked, I feel like, with Liverpool creating so many opportunities, but to see Brighton just kind of seemingly walk over a Jose Mourinho team, it impressed me, but it also made it seem like Tottenham are Tottenham have an issue, and I I'm not sure what they can really do to fix it at this point, especially with the deadline done. If Kane's out for a little, I just they can't score goals without Kane and, and Son, and right now they need to play in a system that is not suited to their team. I wouldn't be shocked to see Arsenal. Honestly, Arsenal should be above them within the next week or two. And I think that shows you how far they've fallen since they were in first against Liverpool. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, Logan here, um, is it just missing Kane here that is the problem here? You know, uh, like Matt just mentioned, about a month ago, they were top of the league before losing to like Leicester and I think it was Liverpool and Leicester. Was it both those teams Um, uh, in pretty quick succession back to back there? Yeah, and we've talked about this a ton on here, and we always harp on it. Um, and I know Matt and I are in agreement with it. Uh, when they don't have Kane scoring and and Son doesn't score, you don't get much behind them. 24 goals, goals total. Um, both of them have 12. And they've only scored 34 goals. Uh, they really like to play an open play. 26 are scored in open play. And that those two are so key to that style of play. I mean, they, they set each other up really well. When one's running, the other can get out and pass. Uh, and vice versa. But when when Kane goes down, uh, and depending on how long he's out, I don't know if there's ever been, any, you know, England's pretty close to chest with injuries. Um, so I'm not really sure how long Kane is going to be out, um, but I think it was muscle-related, so it, it it's probably more than just this game. So I think that, you know, when you, ba- when you really break it down, Tottenham, are, are, they're really going to struggle in the attack. Because, I mean, besides that, I think the next one is... Um, and Dombele, who's got three goals. Um, and I know that most teams don't have these, you know, the, where it's spread out nicely. But I do think that when you've got such a heavy goal presence with the two that had just had an absolute stunning uh, first couple of months um, where they just seemed to be scoring every time they touched it together, um, they're really going to go into a drought here. And I think that they'll really struggle just to stay afloat um, for a team that's starting to fall down the table. I think what they're all the way in sixth now, but they're couple people behind them that have games in hands where they could be down and I think 10th, I think around Arsenal's um, production. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Mourinho can figure it out. But again, like Matt said, if they start to try to open up to get more to, you know, run in, I don't think that that benefits them in any way. And they're not going to, they're not one of the um, best defensive midfields. So I think that that really hurts them when there's a, a counterattack. Because um, I just don't think there's enough there to to support them going forward or defending. 
Yes. Uh, moving on here, we have uh, also at the bottom of the table, Newcastle beat Everton 2-0 to stay eight points above the drop. This was a, you know, Newcastle had been going through a rough stretch. Uh, they really needed this one, didn't they, Logan, to, to kind of keep, um, you know, not trying not to get sucked into that relegation battle. Yeah, they're actually one of the teams that's looked. <laughs> I, I think if you look at the rest of them, Sheffield actually started to play a little bit better. Uh, West Brom is just kind of even keel. You know, Fulham's played a lot better. Brighton uh, played pretty well against Tottenham. Burnley's starting to turn it around. So when you really look at it, it's the three teams ahead of them, like Palace, Wolves, and Newcastle. I, I think those are the ones that are that were really starting to scuffle a little bit, even Leeds. Um, but yeah, they really needed this one. They're... they're there's no way around it now. They, they've got to win matches, and I know their fan base is so reliant on them having at least some success and staying up in the Premier League. And I think this is one of those wins that they'll look back on and say, yeah, that probably saved our season. Because I think they lose this match, then it becomes interesting because, you know, you got Southampton coming up at Chelsea and United. Um, those are not winnable games, and they play Palace as well. So I think that they're really, you know, they, they were looking for something good to happen, and it finally bounced in the right direction. Uh, I think they'd lost like seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that crazy. They had never, I think it's been um, since like early December since they won. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that, that was crippling to the season that was going down south quickly. But I think this win, hopefully for them, keeps them up in the in the Premier League. Yeah, they've had four losses out of their last five, uh, including the match that they just played as that one win. Um, Matt, is it good to see Everton, uh, your rivals, uh, who were once near the top of the league, are now 11 points from first and below, uh, all the way down to eighth place now? I I, I hate Jordan Pickford. Sorry, I just, I'm, I'm going to start saying that every single... Uh, episode. I'm just I'm glad sorry. you said the last name. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh oh, what did got I awkward there for a minute. Um, I I don't want to say it's like great to see him down. I guess I not from there. I don't. I guess I don't have the same like rivalry in my blood sure. type of of situation. But like it is. I, I personally, I think I hate Man U, and and honestly, I think Man City. I think I hate them more. Um. Sorry, Logan. I just I, I don't I don't like the whole Appreciate spending. I, I don't I just don't like it. Um, Hold up, but what have you been asking for this whole transfer window? <laughs> well, he knows it's they can't between... afford anything but the Big Mac or something crazy. So he's not really. They can afford like a medium iced coffee at Dunkin', and that's sad because they're hard <laughs> that's actually, so... I was gonna say they're actually sponsored by them. Um, no, I, I, it, it, it's interesting. It's. It is kind of fun, I will say, to watch him go through a few struggles, which this season is kind of weird, though, because I don't want to get too excited about them struggling because I know Liverpool could struggle right around the corner. But I, I look at their team still, and I don't – I guess I, I'm more con- confused as to how they have 10 wins because I, I'm just not impressed with a lot that I see on that team. Um, honestly, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlson feel like the exact same player, and yet – they, they don't play both up top. One's on the wing, and I don't think that's a great combo because they, they both they don't create for themselves. They both need someone to create for them, and the only person they have on that team that can create is James, who is tired by the 50th minute, and you can just see how much slower he is once, once you get to that point. And without – they don't have any options on the bench either. Like they're, I always every game I watch, like the first one off the bench is um, Gomez, who is like a, like a, he's not a six, but he's not really an eight. He's he's like your basic like central mid, like to me it seems like he doesn't he doesn't do much creatively, but he also can play a decent amount of defense, but not enough to be like a big CDM. And then other than that, I I don't know who else they have on their bench that's gonna make like a huge difference really. And so I, I watch them going, I don't know how this team won as many games as they did. And they go through these these struggles. And it doesn't shock me that they have these games where they lose to Newcastle. Um, you know, the fact that they drew against Everton, seemed, or against Leicester was impressive. But, you know, they 
They beat Wolves, who aren't that great. And then they lost to West Ham, who has been on a winning streak. They're not – there's just something about them that I don't see where they're – I just don't get it. I don't know how they've won as many. I think Man City are going to destroy them in that game in hand that they have. And their other game in hand is Villa, which I also think they'll lose, which at that point – their one advantage with Liverpool is win both those games and they're one point back, but I don't think they're going to win either of them. I just, they don't impress me. I don't see it. Yeah. I will say if they do win the two games in hand, that does put them up to around fourth place with, uh, with Lester, depending on um, goal differential. Uh, Moving on to the next teams that we're talking about at the bottom of the table, West Brom, Versus Fulham, they both drew. Uh, both teams held a lead at some point as well, and both teams definitely needed a win to really help them try to get out of that bottom. Uh, when we look at it, Fulham sits at you know 14 points, uh, Brighton's at 21, West Brom is at 12 points. Uh, it, it really seems like they can't even get it going against the, you know, their competition down there that they are uh, not going to be able to climb out of the bottom. Uh, Palace beat Wolves to stop their recent slide of two straight losses, and Wolves continue their rough form. They did hold Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea side to a draw, but uh, you know it seems like they play some of these teams okay and then when it's against lower opposition uh maybe where they're not as super defensive because they think that they can go get it they end up losing um why would they sell jota logan earlier this season why would they sell him to liverpool uh, wolves and i remember them talking about this on broadcast i think actually it might have been arlo that actually got this game one time but i, I just remember specifically them talking about how they're they're a club that takes pride in being able to get players to play well and then take that money and flip it around kind of like a smaller little liverpool model i think that it 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 really benefits them being able to to have players play well for them become attractive from you know the these big clubs get attracted to these players that they see could be a good fit and then they you know double their investment by selling them off and then they go and do a really nice job. Like Nelson Semedo was a really good signing over from Barcelona. So I think that that's the kind of yeah, move he's that overrated. They really, yeah, um, they've got the they've got a really good uh, I think front office that, that just figures out how to you know keep just pumping the system and and hoping that it just keeps rotating over and over. Unfortunately, I think this year with the with the injury to Jimenez, I think that you look at uh, a team that just can't score. I think you're uh, I want to say, I think Fabio Silva may have scored just one this season. I'm not sure on that. Um, I think one that I remember. But uh, again, they've got really no attacking, um, no attacking presence. Um, what's the? Is it Podence? Is there um, yeah. midfielder? And he's, you know, when he's playing well, it's going pretty well. But um, every time I watch them now, it just seems like they're stuck in this weird spot of like, we can't find goals. And then they think that they've got to turn to Traore to find goals. And all he does is dribble the ball into defenders. Um, so I don't really know. Oil up you know, those arms. <laughs> yeah. But it, well, he needs to, cause he runs through about 30 defenders as he tries to make his way <laughs> right. by himself through the goal, through the box. I don't get, I never did get his style. Like it, it just like, it's very Torre looking, but, but at least uh, Torre, like he would get to the, uh, midfield and kind of shoot from there but Treore decides he likes to go down the wings and then once he's over in that corner there's about three defenders looking for him um so I don't know I think it's a lot of that I think it's they, they're not gonna be able to find goals without Jimenez and, and that's a big miss um selling Jota was just I think part of that that plan that they set out that business plan that they're one of those clubs that they like to regenerate money so that they can go out and buy some more talent that's Youthful and the ones that they'll probably turn around and sell um, when things start going well for them. So I'm not ever sure they're really going to break that mold of the top, you know, six or seven here anytime soon. Um, at least, you know, the way that they're going right now, they're starting to trend uh, in a, yeah, in a very about, dangerous place. You talk about Silva. Yeah, he has two goals. Um, yeah, I remember the one. I couldn't remember what the other he's goal. got one against Burnley, one against yeah, that's West the one. Brom. Okay. 
He's played so, in 15 league matches. He's young, too. What is he, 18, 17? 18. 18. Yeah, but he only scored two goals at Porto as well. Yeah. So, And they thought they touted him as become like this up-and-coming, like could be real dangerous. But, I, I, again, if you haven't scored that much on a big stage, how do you make that assessment? Well, I think it's always weird when they when they do say this kind of stuff. So I'm looking at his whole history here. His youth, I can see why maybe. He had nine appearances, five goals for the Porto under 19. Uh, Porto B, he played in one month last year, and it was three uh, games, no goals. Uh, in July 19 to September 2020, he played 20 matches for Porto with two goals. He's got 18 matches uh, in all competitions for Wolves with two goals, 15 matches in the league. His average FOP mob rating is 6.19. Uh, he doesn't seem like he was ever really a uh, striker that would, you know, I, I get that he's young. It's just that, uh, he, I mean, in those nine appearances, he scored five goals. That's the best he's ever done, but that was under 19 type of setup. So I'm not really sure how much stock he can put in that. Um, it, it's just disappointing for Wolves for me because, you know, let's not forget they were just in the Europa League last season in the knockout stages, you know, playing pretty well. Um, so then to lose Jota and to lose, uh, you know, Jimenez to injury because uh, they started off the season pretty hot. You know, they started off the season pretty hot here, and now they have not uh, won a game in their last five. Three losses, two draws. So they're in some big trouble uh, for sure. And they got Arsenal uh, coming up next, it looks like here. Um, Leeds shock Leicester. This was a fun game. I enjoyed watching this match. Um it shows what Leeds can bring with the Bielsa ball. You know, the, the, yes, they're going to sometimes give up goals, I guess, as we've seen, but they play good attacking uh, soccer that I like watching. Uh, unfortunately, this was rough for Leicester as they do not get the needed points that they, you know, really need it to keep challenging for the top two. As now they sit in fourth, five points back of Manchester City, who has a game in hand. Two points back of Manchester United, so they could have went second, and one point back of Liverpool in third. Was it? Uh, what What was your thoughts on this match, uh, Logan? And then we'll get Matt's perspective here. But uh, you can take it from Leeds or Leicester, whichever perspective you want to spin it on, Logan. But just give us your thoughts on this match. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, back and forth game. Um, you know, I think it was. Leicester scored first, and then Leeds scored, and then that was, you know, just all Leeds after that. Uh, there were some goals called back. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, so I'll take the Leicester side just because of um, James Madison. I mean, honestly, he's he, he's probably my favorite non-City player. <laughs> um, I, I like to, to just fantasize about him roaming the midfield with Kevin De Bruyne for some reason. But, um, no, I, this is a I'll joke. PG podcast, Logan. <laughs> Uh, it's just because he looks like you, Matt, strikingly handsome. Um, no, but all joking aside, I think when you really look at Leicester, I, I think they do things. Um, they they do things that impress me, and then they do things like this. Like this, it was a fun game. I, I'll, I'll give it that. It was a lot of fun to watch, um, and I think that Leeds played about as well as they played in a long time. Um, but I think when you look at the Leicester side, uh, I, I think when you don't have the uh, attacking presence of Vardy, I think that that does take Lester back quite a bit. Uh, he's so threatening, and I think he's a little different than most strikers that are in the Premier League, I think, right now, at least. I, I think when you look at most strikers in the league, they're not ones that you really quiver and fear. But there's then you put Vardy out there, and he can, you know, he'll go off for two, three at a time, and, and he can really just destroy you. And then when you're not giving him goals, He's taken so much attention away from those defenders. And Leeds really does struggle to defend. So just to get one goal against Leeds when they're they're known to give up two or three at least because um, their defense is just a nightmare. Plus, I, I think with Leicester and the good midfielders they have and they couldn't create off any of the set pieces, which is also Leeds' Achilles heel, um, I think that that's been a big issue. 
Harvey Barnes um, and, and James Madison, honestly, the, the two of them really impressed me. Um, Jose Perez played pretty well. But again, I, I think when when you're playing a team like Leeds and you don't take advantage of chances, I think that that's when it can come back to bite you. Because I think if Leeds starts scoring, it starts to come in, in a flood. I think that they're a team that once they get one or two to go in, it's you know results like this, three or four, that they can get with their attacking presence. But again, I think you know Brendan Rodgers, he takes one step forward and then a couple steps back. And I think Matt can speak to that a lot too because he's, he's often talked about the, the roller coaster they seem to be on. I think that's called the uh, the electric slide, Logan. Is that it? Okay, yeah. I think so, yeah. <laughs> Matt, do you want to give your thoughts on uh, either of these teams? Uh, I know you're not a big believer uh, in Leeds, right? Well, I mean, I, I believe that they are safe from relegation. Um, I just, I, I don't think their style of play with their players is something that can survive multiple seasons unless they start um, adapting or, or getting obviously better players, which you easily could, but it was a good result for him. I, I do think kind of with what Logan said, this is just the problem with Rogers is that the moment you really sit there and go Lester or this is it like Lester are in it. They are, you know, going to be in that top two title challenge because they have moments where they look unbeatable. And then they have a week like this where, you know, they, they drew to Everton in a game where I feel like they dominated, and then they lose to Leeds in a game that they probably should be winning um, at this stage, especially with the way City are playing. And, you know, if Liverpool are back on what they can do, you know, that kind of knocks out two spots for them. And I just think that's the, that's the problem with Rodgers is that he, it's like a sense of false hope. You know, it's it, it kind of reminds me of the... It, I think it's the last episode of Ted Lasso. If you get whenever you guys watch it, I think the title's called "It's the Hope That Kills You," and it seems like that's Lester in a sense, where the moment they start having hope that it's happening again, like they just have these run of results where they knock themselves back down and they they can't they can't get back to where they were. Um, but yeah, that's probably my, that's my only thoughts with it. Just more consistency out of them. I do have thoughts on Leeds, though. Like, uh, the mm-hmm. one thought. I think that people people gave Patrick Bamford such a hard time. Like, I can remember reading different things before we started the podcast just to get an idea of who Leeds were and then following along on some of their stuff. But he, he, he got so much rack about the fact that he can't perform at the Premier League because he hadn't had much success when he'd come up here before. And, and you know, at the age of 27 and stuff like that. But, again, I mean, the, the guy's got... 11 goals he's up there with the golden boot runners now i think i think uh, i think he's up with behind two or three um and, and now he's starting to look like one of the best strikers in the premier league uh, especially with some of the ones that are down so i think that when you look at him and people doubted him for so long i, I love that he's having success because it just looks like it's just torturous for the people that just doubted him because i know the guys on like uh i know that the robbies on nbc they really liked him and they said that that you know, national, you know, nationally in England, that people just doubt Patrick Bamford and want to doubt him and didn't want him to really have success. And I hate when England gets on that case about, you know, not rooting for some against somebody. And I think they do the same thing with Vardy because it seems like he's also got that same kind of reputation where people just almost want them to fail. I think they feel more comfortable when they fail. Yeah, what I know is, you know, Bamford was an up-and-coming player at Chelsea. Um, what I've read, you know, before we start the season is that it takes Bamford a lot of chances to score as many goals that he does. You know, that was he was one of the top scorers, I think, in the championship. And people were like, well, he had a lot of uh, chances, and it took him, you know, so he missed a lot of chances as well that they thought would hold him back uh, from this, which, you know, sounds a lot like Timo Werner. Um, a bit with how many chances he got would get in the Bundesliga and be able to put them away. Uh, but props to Bamford because he's converted that into Premier League goals while Werner has not. So um, it, it's one of those weird things where sometimes British people have biases with their own players where they love them even if they're not good, but then they'll also hate players that are. So I'm, I'm not really sure where that <laughs> Uh, comes from um, Tuchel 
got his first win, and Pulisic gets an assist. This was a fun game to watch, for me anyway. Um, missed a little bit of the first half because uh, I set the alarm for 7 o'clock, and then like 7.25 and 7.30, so I woke up at like 7.30 because um, I slept through the first alarm, I guess. Uh, two of Frank Lampard's outcasts score in this match. Uh, Espilicueta was not playing as much for Reese James, and uh, Marcus Alonso had not played since I believe sometime last season. Um, so, uh, and he scored and he held up the badge, and that was the one that Pulisic assisted, uh, which was a good assist, but an even better finish. Uh, just unreal. If anybody needs to see it, we did tweet it. Uh, out on one of our socials anyway um the movement on and off the ball was a lot better than the game against wolves and a lot better than under frank um you know tuchel just in a week or less here actually has kind of gotten the players playing his style uh that he likes um yes it took a bit for us to actually you know for chelsea to actually score it took a bit for them to actually score the second one as well but to me this looked a lot better um you know you're not always you, you know you could play so well and not score in this league as well um so but it was good to get a win uh they you know they've turned around a bit what i liked about tuchel as well is that he wasn't afraid of making early substitutions it sounds like tammy may have had an injury at half like a little knock but even if it wasn't a knock, uh, he did deserve to come out at halftime. Abraham was not up for it. He was static, not moving around, not making openings, you know. Uh, then they moved Werner centrally. I think they put Pulisic more out wide or center. He could kind of go wherever he wanted. Uh, and then you still had hudson Adoy on the right. And then things were really starting to move uh, because of, the you know, Werner creating space, Pulisic creating space, hudson Adoy creating space. That just was a lot of fun. Uh, to watch here. Um, Logan, I know you really believe in Thomas Tuchel and what he can do for this team. Uh, I'm not sure if you got to see any of this, but uh, give us your thoughts on Thomas Tuchel and this uh, Chelsea team here. Yeah, I think that uh, it's a, it's a good fit for him. I think that a team that uh, underperforming a team that is, clearly talented when you put some of the pieces in together correctly. I think that they've got a team that could make a storm at the top of the table next year, especially with if they get a couple of these signings and, you know, Chelsea's always willing to spend money. So I think that makes him even more of a perfect candidate because he's, you know, he's coached Mbappe, he's coached Neymar, he's coached guys that have that star talent. And I think that once he starts to get maybe one or two of his guys in there or three guys in there and he starts playing the football that he wants, it becomes kind of like what you saw I mean, I think, you know, dominating possession is ultimately what they want to do. I think, it, you know, 71% of the possession was spent at their feet. Uh, you've got 19 shots and 21 chances created against Burnley's. Um, I think it, it goes back and forth on foot pop mob between one and two or one and zero shots. I can't tell which one's correct. looks like just one, but it's off target. And, and you know, playing defensively, it, it looks like that. Chelsea's defense, which I think under Lampard, tactically, if it, if he'd have been better, I think their defense is actually something that uh, that team doesn't get some credit for. I think Thiago Silva anchors that just like a Ruben Diaz does for City uh, or a Van Dyke does for Liverpool. But I do. I, I, you saw some glimpses there that I was really excited about. And he, like you said, Jordan, I think the biggest thing that Chelsea fans can take away from this is Thomas Tuchel will make adjustments because he's not complacent and he's not happy with when he's not happy with the result. He doesn't get that smug look on his face and he crosses his arms and goes and sits somewhere or pouts about it because he doesn't feel like it's gone the way that he wants it to. And the fact that you know when you get a new manager in there, I think the the old blood like Olivier Giroud and and the guys that you mentioned, Alonzo and Alice Pilicueta, I think that when they come in there and they haven't had chances to play as much with Frank, it gives them a bit of a new life. And I think that's something that's key. And I think that the Pulisic uh, connection is going to be ultimately uh, really promising for Chelsea fans, just because I think that once you start to see Pulisic playing with, with Tuchel's system again, I think that that's going to be ultimately something that Chelsea fans are really going to enjoy. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think um, 
you know, having Pulisic uh, underneath of a manager that he clearly has a good relationship with and uh, playing Hudson-Odoi, who Frank didn't really play that much, um, and creating space for him, kind of Frank, it, for with Frank, it was always, it's pretty much either Pulisic or Hudson-Odoi. And with uh, Tuchel, he shows you can play both of them and that they can link up well. And uh, it's just it's just the finishing still, you know. They that's what is going to hold this team back, and we'll see what happens. I guess in the summer, I'm not expecting big signings, um, just because I mean strikers are so hard to find, uh, to be honest. And I know that there's one in Dortmund, you know, called Holland, uh, but I don't think that uh, he's going to go to Chelsea, and I don't think. That uh, I mean, who else do you go after for you know a, a new striker? So Timo's going to have to turn it on. Um, but right now, his his confidence is just shot. Uh, some of his touches are just abysmal, and some of his shots are you know not as great either. Mason Mount had some weird shots he tried to pull off that he would end up putting you know thirty rows up in the stands. Um, other than that, he looked really great, but. Um, let's, uh, let's get Matt's perspective here on Liverpool. I know you talked a bit about them earlier, but that's two straight, what, like three to one wins. Are they back? You kind of mentioned that with the signings, you think that they can get second place. Yeah, they, they were impressive. I honestly, the first half worried me a little cause it, it felt very, similar to the games prior to Tottenham, but they seem to come alive in that second half. And it, there's such an importance. There's such an importance of them playing through the middle and with Tiago playing in an eight instead of the six, it, it just changes the dynamic of the team. And when they're, if they can get whatever you consider fully healthy this year, which really at this point is Jota, Keita, and Mane, and Fabinho back, which they probably should be happening this month for all of them. They're still incredibly dangerous. I mean, they are... Man City have to, I think, score six games with their game in hand to, to match them offensively. Um, so they're, they're clearly still able to score, and it really is going to depend on how they line up. And the reason those center backs are going to be such a big deal is you could possibly even get away with putting Fabinho back at the six, which puts Henderson and Tiago further up. And when these guys move into their proper positions, the play goes through the middle more. And that it's really what they need. And if they get that first goal against the team, I personally think they're one of the hardest teams to come back from one nil down because the moment you have to open up and not sit back is the moment they tend to find a way to get goal number two, goal number three. And I think that's what shocked me most with the game with West Ham. I was thinking West Ham were going to come out and really attack them. You know, you have Henderson and Nat Phillips in your center back pairing. And when you watch that first half, West Ham played as if they were playing the Premier League champion Liverpool with their best players in the starting 11 and not the team who had seven guys who could technically be starting at the same time. And I think as a as a West Ham fan, I'd be pretty disappointed with that. But luckily, Liverpool found their way through. And yeah, it, it, it's been impressive. And I think the game against Brighton is going to be a big indicator here at upcoming because if they can play well against Brighton, another team I'm assuming is going to sit back and give themselves some momentum, then you know they're going to face City and it's going to be a tough game. But it's, it's kind of at that point their remaining chance to get back into maybe title contention. But they just they need to play their game, and these center back, the, the center backs they brought in are going to allow players to play in their correct spot. And it it's looking like the season is coming down to top two in the league. And I honestly think they have a great shot at the Champions League because really everybody in the Champions League, besides maybe Madrid, uh, Atletico Madrid, not Real Madrid, um, tend to play pretty open, which I think helps Liverpool on that end as well. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely nice to see it happening and to see the team back because it's it it's nice to just see them playing without that tense feeling of when are we going to score? When are we going to score? 
and hopefully it just continues because they definitely still have a shot. A city's probably out of reach. I really don't see how you can, with your injuries, I don't see how it can happen. But getting top two competing in the Champions League is what you need to get to make sure that this big summer you have planned gets to happen, which it'll be interesting to see how that goes as well. How about you, Logan? Uh, What do you think here? Liverpool uh, fully back now out of their slump? Yeah, I never believe they were away. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't take. I, I know their defense struggles, and, and I know Matt's. You know the injuries are you know, Walgreens receipt long, but again, I think that with their attacking side, the three that can get going up front, and with Jota coming back, that just they scare me every time, and especially because we don't play them well. So if we ever need a game against them, uh, it just doesn't bode well for City. And I think the next one. Am I wrong, Matt? Is it at Anfield? I think it is at Anfield. The next city Liverpool game, yeah, which yeah, is Sunday, right? On, yeah, uh, Sunday. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. yeah. So we never play them well, and I, I don't want them sneaking up behind us um, because I do. I, I feel very uncomfortable with Klopp being up behind us, and if he can figure out, or sorry, if anybody can figure out, you know, these new young defenders that they got, it'll be him. Um, and they didn't spend but like a buck and a dime on them um, compared to City standards, so it was. That's kind of scary in and of itself because if he figures out how to get these guys playing well, which I'm assuming he will because that's how good he is, it could mean a lot of trouble for the rest of the league. Because I think now if you look at Liverpool, you start to see these guys come back into their positions they're comfortable with. And if these two are serviceable, it's just going to spell trouble. I mean, they're back to that caliber of chasing down people. Again, I think it helps that City's got a game in hand, but I still think that I'm I'm still looking over my shoulders if I'm City, just because I think there's so much focus on Champions League for City that we we tend to drop some of these games that that are important in Premier, and, and they'll be right back with us if we're not careful. Yeah, it's only a four point difference right now at the top. I know you have a game in hand, but uh, you know if if uh, Liverpool beat City, that only puts them one point back. Um, you know, if they if you keep the same pace that you're currently on right now, let's move on to just breaking down real quick. Uh, let's go over the box scores of the matches. So, uh, like we said earlier, Newcastle to Everton nil. That was at 7:30 on Saturday. Callum Wil- Wilson scored both of those goals, 73rd minute and 90 plus three minutes. Crystal Palace over Wolves. That was a 10 a.m. match. That was 1-0 to Palace. Uh, Ize uh, scored for Crystal Palace in the 60th minute. Manchester City 1, Sheffield 0. The rise, uh, the return of Jesus. Uh, Gabriel Jesus scored nine minutes in to make it 1-0. Yeah, he was wide open with dinner from a goal. Um, Sorry, that was being... (laughs) What was that, his third goal of the year? Is Is that what you said? Oh, yeah, third, yeah, our wonderful striker. Our savior, if you want to call him that. Yes, that's what I was going to say. West Brom 2, Fulham 2. Bobby Reed, 10 minutes in, took the lead for Fulham. Bartley scored for West Brom. Piera scored for West Brom to make it 2-1. Then Cavallero scored to make it 2-2 for Fulham. Arsenal, Manchester United, 0-0. Closest one to this was Logan with a 1-1 draw. Matt had a 2-2 draw. I had a 2-1 Arsenal win. Um, Southampton we nil. We really at- overestimated that. Yes, we did. Yeah, that was not a good match. Um, Southampton nil. Aston Villa won. Uh, Barkley scored for Villa. Uh, that's a uh, Chelsea player. I think he's still out on loan. It's, I think it's just a loan. Uh, we did have an offside Southampton goal that I thought was actually offside. Um, apparently, VAR wasn't the one that overturned it. It was already called offside, I think is what they were trying to say. Yeah, um, the Southampton? Yeah. Yeah, so, they, they called it offsides. Right. So uh, that was just confirming the call there. And then there was a handball in the box uh, that was not called. To me, that was a handball. should have been a penalty for Southampton. Johnson agrees with you. Um, yes, I believe so. I think he said that this morning. I he did. I yeah, I mean, I I thought before, you know, what? Because I saw his tweet this morning as well. You know, earlier when it was Leeds versus Liverpool this season, what first game of the year? 
I thought that was a harsh call because it bounces off of his kneecap and then hits his arm. But if they're going to call it like that all the time, then this would definitely be one as well. So, um, and his arm is out and extended, I think, uh, from his body. So uh, Aston Villa kind of get lucky there and beat Southampton 1-0. Sunday we had the Chelsea-Burnley match, uh, which, as I stated before, was 2-0. 40th minute and 84th minute for those goals. Uh, We all had three goals for Chelsea, so we were all wrong. But we all picked a Chelsea win, so congrats, guys. Thank you. Uh, for that confidence boost, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Lester one leads before. leads three. Uh, that was Harvey Barnes for Lester, then Stuart Dallas for Leeds, Bamford for Leeds, and Jack Harrison, the NYCFC graduate, Wake Forest graduate as well. Um, West Ham one, Liverpool three. Mo Salah with the first two goals, uh, Wijnaldum for the third, and then Dawson uh, getting that West Ham consolation. Um, was that the second Salah goal that was really, really good off the West Ham corner? Is that is that which one it was? No, yeah, the the Trent to Shakiri to Salah. Yes, that prime. That was actually that's not even the first time they've had uh, a corner at West Ham where they ended up scoring off of West Ham's corner on a counterattack. That that's I've seen a few people. That's prime Klopp Liverpool right there. Yes, um, it was just a beautiful goal. If people haven't seen it, uh, definitely want to go look up that goal. Uh, then Brighton won Spurs nil. That was Trissard for Brighton in the 17th Woo! minute. Uh, upcoming matches here, Tuesday, February 2nd. That's tomorrow, Sheffield United versus West Bromwich Albion, 1 p.m., and then we have Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Arsenal at, on, at 1 p.m., uh, we have Manchester United versus Southampton at 3.15. Newcastle United versus Crystal Palace at 3.15. We also have here, uh, let me just say which what channels those are on. Wolves Arsenal is on NBCSN, while Sheffield West Brom is on Peacock. Man United versus Southampton is on NBCSN, and then Newcastle versus Crystal Palace is on Peacock. And we are predicting Newcastle versus Crystal Palace. Logan, it's a battle at the bottom. Who do you got? I'm going to go with Crystal Palace on this one. Even though Newcastle feels good coming off their Everton win, I think that Crystal Palace uh, can can get one over on Newcastle. I just, I'm just i not convinced that Newcastle are very healthy, and then they lost one of their better defenders um, to Galatasaray. So, I you know, having that step back, I don't see it going well for Newcastle. I'm going to say... Crystal Palace 2-0, and those little birdies are just avoiding relegation to make my prediction basically eat crow. The bird puns are strong with you. You said 2-0 for Crystal Palace? Yeah, soaring to a (laughs) 2-0 win. (laughs) Matt, who do you got? I don't don't have any bird puns if that's that's what we're betting on here. Um, Big goose egg. (laughs) Uh, honestly, I think this game. I this game feels nil nil. This is gonna end zero zero draw. I think both teams struggle scoring, and they're not the best offensive teams. And even if they struggle defensively, I think that inability to to score and really find that final play is gonna be a key in this. I just think it ends nil nil. I am going to say one nil to Newcastle. They need it. They need the win here. Um, Wednesday, February 3rd, we have Burnley versus Manchester City. That's on NBCSN at 1 p.m. Then we have Fulham and Leicester at the same time on Peacock. Leeds versus Everton at 2.30 on Peacock. Liverpool versus Brighton at 3.15 on NBCSN. And Aston Villa versus West Ham on Peacock. Oh, I think I might watch that one instead of the Liverpool match. Um... And then on Thursday, we have (laughs) on Thursday, only only Liverpool. Come on, (laughs) Thursday, we have that Liverpool game is probably going to be three to one. Uh, that uh, the 
Thursday, we have Tottenham versus Chelsea on Peacock at 3 p.m. On Wednesday, we are predicting Leeds versus Everton. I feel like this could be a good matchup. Leeds, uh, I'm going to say Leeds wins 3-1 to one like they just did against Leicester. How about that? What do you say, Logan? That's a pretty good pick. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Leeds because Everton just don't. They're really starting to not impress me very much. But yeah, 2-1 Leeds. And I'm going to say... Uh, Patrick Bamford sits out because he's hurt. So I'm going to go with a Jack Harrison goal because he's on fire. All right, Matt, who do you have? I'm going with a Leeds win as well. I think it, I think it ends 3-1 just like you do, Jordan. It seems seems like a really good prediction. And, yeah, just between Everton not impressing and Leeds being able to some at moments score at will, I think this is one of those games that they, they don't struggle with scoring. That uh, that means that uh, Everton's going to win that match. Uh, for Tottenham versus Chelsea, let's start with you, Matt. Who do you have in this one? Uh, I, I gotta I feel I gotta go Chelsea. I, I I'm not impressed with Tottenham right now, and Kane still won't be playing. I I don't see where they end up scoring. It it's going to end up being Chelsea one nil. Who do you got, Logan? Yeah, I'm with Matt. I think Tottenham are in a dark place right now uh, without Kane. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Chelsea two nil. All right, and I have three uh, nil Chelsea. Let's feel it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm ready. Um, I guess that's it. That that is like all the games here. We, I mean, we do have another. Uh, you know, break on Friday before games on Saturday, Sunday. So I guess maybe we'll be doing that again. Uh, there hasn't been any last minute news that I see coming through the wire here. Um, you know, as they get the deals done. But we are uh, in February with Champions League now. Yeah, that's, Champions League is awesome. what, uh, two weeks two away? Weeks. Yeah, about two weeks. Yeah. And they uh, apparently the. German government's not going to make an exception. So we'll see what happens with the Liverpool-Leipzig game. It sounds like a neutral ground might be might be the best option. That's interesting. Uh, I would think that or, or switching, you know, like they said before. But then you'd have to hope that the thing is up by mid-March when you'd have to go for the return leg. Um, yeah, so let's see. February 16th, we have Leipzig versus Liverpool. February 17th, we have Porto versus Juventus. February 16th, we have Barcelona and PSG. And we have Sevilla and Dortmund on February 17th. Um, the 23rd, we have Chelsea versus Atletico. Bayern versus Lazio. The 24th, we have Mönchengladbach and Manchester City. And Atalanta versus Real Madrid. Some good matches here. I totally forgot Barcelona and PSG pulled each other again. <laughs> That's every year. <laughs> Seriously. Um, let, let's, uh, yeah, let's, uh, uh, I can't wait to see these matches. So if that's two weeks away on our Monday episode, I guess, uh, on the 15th, we'll probably be previewing those Champions League matches as well. It's a little easier when there's only two matches a day, four matches a week, than when we had to preview the whole group stage to throw that into our show. Um, but yeah, uh, top of the league standings uh, is Manchester City, then Manchester United, then Liverpool, then Leicester, then West Ham. Chelsea's up to seventh. Uh, they're six points behind Leicester in fourth. They're two points behind West Ham in fifth. Uh, when we look at goals scored, Mo Salah with 15, then Son and Kane with 12, and Calvert-Lewin with 11, and Patrick Bamford with 11 as well. Uh, that about wraps us up. If you want to follow us, you can reach us at Twitter, at Stoppage Show, facebook.com slash Show. Email us at stoppagetimeshow at gmail.com or Instagram at stoppagetimesoccershow. Uh, Logan and I did just record a 
beginner's guide to MLS uh, that he asked me every single question that he had about the league structure and um, league mechanics, and I answered those pretty thoroughly, wouldn't you say, Logan? Yeah, yeah, those were pretty good. I got a lot of, I learned a lot about the MLS that I had no clue about. It's a very, very different league. And uh, that episode is up now um, on our feed that you're listening to this show on as well, and also on our separate feed. Um, we're going to be probably talking that U.S. men's national team 7-0 victory over Trinidad and Tobago when we record again this week. And we also are looking to have a special guest on the show this week as well to preview Austin FC's first year in MLS as an expansion team. So hopefully that all works out and that'll be one episode for you to enjoy. And you can follow that show on Twitter at Stateside Show, Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, and email StatesideShow at gmail.com. That one is so much easier than all the variations of Stoppage Time Soccer Show. Well, I am Jordan Wiegand. They were Logan Stump and Matt Harkrove. And thank you for listening and have a great rest of your week. Kane has stolen it at the death. That's what he's there for. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show and listen to us recap the English Premier League from our perspective. We'll also be talking some Champions League and any other leagues that impact world soccer.